This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. The waves were coming in strong on the eastern coast of Japan on February 22, 1803. Heavy winds whipped the water into a froth. Fishermen gathered at the docks, waiting for the ocean to settle. As they looked out to the water, something strange caught their attention. What appeared to be a large, circular vessel with a rounded top crested a swell. It was drifting aimlessly at the mercy of the turbulent sea. By afternoon, the waters had calmed, and a search party of small boats eagerly set out to find the unusual object. The fishermen caught up with it not too far offshore. They were intrigued by curious glass windows built into the top part of the ship. They wondered out loud what was inside the hull. Could it be treasure? or something more sinister. Their curiosity peaked. The fishermen towed the ship back to land for a closer inspection. They called it Utsuro Bune, the hollow boat. Once it was anchored on shore, a few of the bravest men climbed on top to get a look inside. They put their hands to the glass windows, blocking the glare from the sun. What they saw shocked them. The inner panels of the ship were covered with text in an unrecognizable language. What's more, there was a small bed with sheets and a parcel of what looked like food and water inside. That's when they saw movement. Something was inside the ship. And it was still alive. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a ParCast original. I'm Tim. 
And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered thousands, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. You can find all episodes of Extraterrestrial and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Extraterrestrial for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Extraterrestrial in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week, in a special one-part episode, we're looking at an early 19th century sighting off the eastern coast of Japan when a strange ship drifted ashore. The account resembles some classic tales of Japanese folklore, but it also bears many of the hallmark signs of a UFO encounter. Over the centuries, some enthusiasts have become convinced that the story is a remarkable early account of alien contact, and it foreshadowed many of history's later famous extraterrestrial sightings. At the start of the 19th century, Japan was an isolated country, cut off from Western civilization and ruled by the shogun, a military dictator under the figurehead emperor. But on a breezy day in February 1803, an unexpected visitor arrived on the eastern shore of the largest island. A group of fishermen found an unrecognizable object adrift at sea. It resembled a large circular rice pot. The men were so perplexed by what they saw that they towed the ship back to shore for further examination. The vessel measured over 18 feet in diameter, and it appeared to have two parts. The upper section, a sort of rounded top, looked to be made of coated rosewood with several glass windows. These portals were covered with metal bars and secured with a sticky waterproof resin. The bottom portion of the ship was mostly underwater and appeared to be reinforced with iron plates, perhaps to protect it from sunken rocks or other sharp objects. The vessel seemed to be airtight and waterproof, but how did it arrive at an isolated shore near Japan's eastern coast with only the Pacific Ocean on the horizon? The fishermen were bemused, but their greatest shock was yet to come. When they peered through the vessel's glass windows, they saw that the inside of the ship was covered with strange text and symbols. This description may sound familiar to UFO enthusiasts. Many alleged alien craft were covered with indecipherable script, including one of the most famous extraterrestrial crashes, the 1947 wreck in Roswell, New Mexico. Witnesses described that infamous saucer as featuring hieroglyphic-like lettering, Although no remains are accessible to the public today, copies of the alien text have been reproduced for study, but no one has been able to decode the Roswell ship's language. The Japanese fishermen in 1803 didn't have time to puzzle over the alien script. What they saw required an urgent response. Something was moving inside the ship. 
The being that emerged resembled a young human woman, but she had many unfamiliar features. Her hair and eyebrows were bright red, but she also had white fur attached to her head. Her skin was pink, and she stood about five feet tall. She wore long, elegant clothes made from a strange, colorful fabric. And she spoke, but in an odd language that the fisherman didn't understand. Most curious, though, was a 24-inch square box made of pale, sturdy material that the woman held tightly in her hands. She refused to let anyone near enough to touch it or take it from her. It had to be very valuable and important. The fishermen nervously helped the woman onto the beach. They weren't sure whether or not to fear her. She was certainly unusual, but beneath that strange hair and clothing, she didn't look so different from the women of their own village. A few men kept a suspicious, watchful eye on this odd creature, while others examined her ship. They made note of the strange symbols covering the walls and took inventory of everything on board. There wasn't much. Aside from some bedding, other supplies included a bottle of water, carpet, and food. The woman waited, calm and silent, as the men discussed what to do with her and the ship. It was an overwhelming question, unlike any the fishermen had faced before. They knew the sea around their province like the backs of their hands but they couldn't understand how a foreign woman could appear on the shores so suddenly. An abrupt, out-of-nowhere appearance is a common feature in UFO sightings. A recent YouTube video, which went viral in October 2019, depicted numerous lights that suddenly flashed into a previously empty sky. Their sudden apparition suggested that they weren't flying using any earthly technology. Likewise, the woman's unforeseen arrival may have been a hint that she didn't travel in an ordinary boat. The fishermen couldn't come up with a solution on their own, but they also couldn't debate the issue indefinitely. Finally, they decided that they would leave the vessel on the beach and bring the woman back to their village to seek guidance from their elders. A crowd gathered around the woman as she tenderly held the mysterious box. She spoke in a soft voice at first, and the villagers listened with furrowed brows. But no one understood what she was saying. Eventually, she gave up talking with a resigned sigh, and the group began to discuss the issue among themselves. An elderly villager proposed a theory. He suggested that the woman was the daughter of a foreign king sent into exile. The villagers murmured and nodded in assent. This explained her strange appearance and foreign language, and they had seen such an incident before. A few years earlier, a similar vessel had washed ashore with a woman inside. She was said to be a princess, banned from her home for having an affair with a commoner. As royalty, she'd escaped the death penalty, but her lover wasn't so lucky. His decapitated head was found pinned to a board among her belongings. The village elder suggested that this new woman's package could contain the same, that is, the severed head of her lover, a memento to keep her company in exile. That would seem to explain why she was so protective of the box. The village chief, however, disagreed with the elder's assessment of this woman. He announced that she carried a gift from the gods. 
If the chief was accurate, the woman was far from the only otherworldly visitor to bring powerful offerings to humanity. Author Reed Summers explained in an interview with Paranormal Now Radio that he believes aliens traveled to Earth specifically to guide and nurture humankind. They offer wisdom, hope, and universal secrets to help usher Earthlings into a new era of enlightenment. The village elder may not have been thinking so grandly, but he was intrigued by the potential gifts the woman offered. He wanted to welcome her into the community and learn her secrets. But not everyone shared his interpretations. The villagers couldn't confirm any of their theories because they couldn't ask this mysterious woman anything. They couldn't communicate with her at all. And she wouldn't let them close enough to look inside the box. The conversation grew tense as the villagers' discussion continued. Some wanted to take the woman in and learn about her plight. Others believed she'd brought a curse with her. They wanted to send her back out to sea. She would surely draw outside attention to their quiet community. Did they want to disrupt their way of life for a stranger? They needed to put the needs of the village ahead of their own curiosity. As the villagers' voices rose and fell, the strange woman sat placidly with her pale box in her lap. She was apparently unconcerned about these petty squabbles, squabbles that could lead her to either life or death. Finally, the village elder spoke again, saying there was a precedent for casting this kind of boat back out to sea. That's what they'd done with the exiled woman with the decapitated head. It was the simplest solution. He proclaimed, from a humanitarian viewpoint, this treatment is too cruel for her. However, this treatment is her destiny. The villagers shuffled their feet. Some of them were uncomfortable with this solution, but they knew their elder was right. And finally, everyone began to nod. It was decided the woman would be cast out to sea in the vessel she'd arrived in. The villagers led her back to shore and loaded her into the ship. She didn't fight back. She accepted her fate with graceful dignity. Perhaps, on some level, she knew she wasn't doomed to die at sea. She was returning to her home, wherever that was. The villagers watched the vessel drift away, pulled out by the undertow. It eventually disappeared over the horizon, never to be seen again. But in her wake, the woman left a mystery. Where did she come from? Where did she go? How was her strange, before-its-time boat constructed? Perhaps the story seemed so out of this world because it was about an early alien encounter. Coming up, we'll examine the evidence for extraterrestrials in two published accounts of Utsuro Bune and how researchers over the last century have sought to verify the authenticity of the event. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
Thank you so much for listening. We want to take this time to tell you that Extraterrestrial will be taking the next two weeks off. We'll be back with a brand new episode and an important announcement on January 7th. In the meantime, we do have a special gift to share with you. While we're away, we'll be airing our listeners' most requested episodes of 2019. If you'd like to check out the most requested episodes from ParCast's other shows, subscribe to ParCast Presents to hear our best of 2019. From everyone here at ParCast, we'd like to wish you a happy holiday season. We're thankful for your support and look forward to bringing you even more unique and entertaining podcasts in the new year. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the story. In February 1803, Japanese fishermen discovered a strange saucer-like ship floating in the ocean near a tiny coastal village. A curious feminine being was stranded on board, and the interior of the ship contained unrecognizable symbols on its walls. The woman carried a mysterious box and spoke an unknown language. Because the villagers didn't know where she'd come from, they ultimately set her adrift in her vessel. They never heard from her again. So ends the story of the hollow boat. As strange as the incident is, however, it's not entirely unique. It parallels mythical Japanese stories that date back to the 7th century. In ancient times, people from all over Asia immigrated to the Japanese islands using simple dugout boats. These were typically made from hollowed-out tree trunks. As a result, boat migration is a common theme in Japanese lore and legends. These stories often follow a similar pattern. A fisherman would find a young girl or woman stranded aboard a small dugout boat. The woman was then brought back to land, where she settled and started a family. One example of this legend supposedly relates to the origin of a Japanese family dynasty. As the story goes, a fisherman off Gogo Island in southwestern Japan found a dugout boat carrying a young girl. She claimed to be the daughter of a king in China, forced to flee to escape her evil stepmother. The fisherman raised her as his own, naming her Wake Hime, which translates to Princess Wake. She later married an imperial prince from the Iyo district and gave birth to Ochimiko, who started the Kawano family dynasty. To this day, there is still a shrine to Princess Wake in the village of Funakoshi on Gogo Island. However, there is no evidence of a Kawano family ever having actually ruled in Japan, outside of retellings of this legend. But there's another variation on this type of story, a variation that ends with the girl being sent back out to sea. The February 1803 incident fits perfectly within this mythic pattern of a foreign woman finding her way to Japanese shores, then being cast off again. But despite the similarities to Japanese folklore, the Utsurobune narrative stands out because it's more often considered real documented history. What's more, UFO enthusiasts point to many odd features in reports of the incident, features that seem to be proof of an extraterrestrial encounter. The story of Utsurobune, also known as Utsurofune, or the hollow boat, was allegedly first published in the 1825 book Toen Soshetsu, 22 years after the event was said to take place. It was included in a compilation of stories documenting intriguing events from the Tokugawa period, an era in Japan that lasted from 1603 to 1868. 
The story was believed to be written by Takizawa Bakin, a famous novelist. A second version of this story was said to have appeared almost 20 years later in the book Ume no Chiri. It was published under the title Utsurofune no Koto, or Concerning an Incident of the Hollow Boat. Both reports are said to be based on old tabloid-like newspapers called Kawaraban that covered exciting local news, often in an over-dramatized fashion. This has led to questions about the accuracy of the reported events. Tabloids frequently report on UFO narratives, but those stories have consistently been debunked or disbelieved because the original source wasn't credible. One early example was that of S.E. Hayden of the Dallas Morning News. He reported in 1897 that an alien spaceship had crashed in Texas, leaving Martian body parts and several tons of wreckage strewn over the countryside. However, Hayden was unable to produce the ship, the bodies, or a single eyewitness. Skeptics later learned he'd invented the entire crash in an effort to drum up tourism. Today, these sorts of accounts are treated with a healthy grain of salt, unless the reporter can produce a credible original source. Unfortunately, when it comes to the Utsurobune accounts, neither author cites where they found their information. They provide only a location in the Hitachi province and quotes from an unnamed old man. Takizawa, the original author, seemed to understand that his story lacked credible proof. He actually asked readers to reach out with any additional information concerning the incident. He wanted to resolve the ambiguity around the story. But first, he had to reconcile the differences between the two reports. For example, the 1844 publication named a different beach in the Hitachi province as the site of the boat's arrival and claimed the event took place on March 24, 1803, instead of February 22nd. But both versions were consistent about the boat's appearance. They reported the vessel was hollow and its shape was similar to a rice cooking pot. There were small lattice windows on the top and the bottom was reinforced with steel bars. The description of the woman was also quite similar in each account. She wore strange clothes and spoke an unknown language. Her hair was streaked with white, and she held a small box in her hands that no one was allowed to touch. Based on these similarities, it seems clear the stories describe the same event, but we're still left wondering if the incident was real, exaggerated, or fabricated entirely. Since the two early publications, more texts describing the incidents have been uncovered. Researcher Shoichi Komon, author of the book The Mystery of Utsurobune, claims to have found a total of 12 documents detailing the same incident. Komon argues that the high number of written records proves the event really happened. Each of the 12 documents contains the same three central elements, the Utsurobune hollow boat, cosmic symbols, and the space woman, as Kamon calls her. These consistencies across multiple reports suggest they share the same real-life origin, at least according to Kamon. Some researchers have attempted to back up Kamon's claim by trying to identify the exact location of the incident. If the event did in fact happen, that would be the place to start looking for corroborating evidence. UFO enthusiasts have long placed importance on finding the exact site of an alien appearance. Sometimes, true believers hope to find real, physical evidence. 
impact craters or previously overlooked shards of metal can add credence to an otherwise outlandish story. But even if the location offers no hard evidence for the existence of extraterrestrials, it can provide important context. If the Utsurobune really landed, perhaps ancient bits of news or seemingly unrelated oral traditions can corroborate elements of the original legend. But as we noted earlier, the two most cited reports disagree as to when and where the encounter took place. As a result, researchers have attempted to determine which report is most likely correct. They've turned to 19th century maps of Japan for help. Back then, Japan was broken up into provinces, which were then divided into territories controlled by different families. Allocation of land was based on a family standing with the shogun, the Japanese military dictator. The 1825 report published by Takizawa Bakin in Toen Shosetsu said the Utsurobune event took place at a beach called Hara Yadori. This shore was supposedly in a territory of Ogasawara Echunokami in Hitachi province. The word Yadori means shelter in English. In this case, it's meant to describe a port. So researchers were looking for the Hara port in the Ogasawara territory, which was controlled by Lord Echunokami in 1803. Kazuo Tanaka, author of the article, did a close encounter of the third kind occur on a Japanese beach in 1803, reports that records from the early 19th century indicate that this lord and his territory both existed. However, it was inland and did not face the Pacific Ocean. The second report, published in the 1845 book Ume no Chiri, suggests the encounter took place on a beach called Haratonahama in a territory of Ogasawara Izumi, also in the Hitachi province. The word Hama here translates to beach in English, so we're looking for Haratona Beach in the Ogasawara territory controlled by Lord Izumi. Records show Izumi held numerous territories in 1803, but none were in the Hitachi province. Furthermore, author Kazuo Tanaka found no references to either location in geographical records. Tanaka concludes his article by stating that it is difficult to believe that these place names, where an amazing incident occurred, vanished. The only reasonable conclusion is that these names are imaginary. Such a discovery leaves little hope for those who want to prove that Usurobune is history, not legend. But it still leaves questions about the encounter itself and what really took place. UFO enthusiasts have turned to visual references as a means of answering those questions. Specifically, the illustrations that accompany both reports have many characteristics that are recognizable from other alien sightings. For instance, the circular shape of the vessel looks almost exactly like the 20th century interpretation of a flying saucer. The lattice windows and iron plates described distinguish it from common boats of the early 19th century. It doesn't even look like the modern ships. The drawings also depict some of the symbols found inside the mysterious vessel. They are strange geometric shapes, primarily made up of triangles and circles. Finally, the sketches of the woman show her with white hair and a pale box. There is something ethereal about her depiction. 
The design of the ship, the unusual appearance of the woman and the box she carried, and indecipherable symbols are all classic UFO elements. Does this mean the Japanese legend actually depicted contact with an extraterrestrial species? Or is this the result of modern attempts to reinterpret traditional legends? Coming up, we'll take a closer look at the investigations into the Otsurobune story and its extraterrestrial elements in an attempt to determine the truth. Now, back to the story. The 1803 appearance of a strange vessel off the eastern coast of Japan has fueled interest and speculation among historians for centuries. The general structure of the Utsurobune sighting is familiar in Japanese legend, but the fact that the story may have some basis in truth has given UFO scholars hope that the incident is more than just another myth. There are also many unexplained elements of the story that alien enthusiasts point to as proof that the Usurobune sighting was, in fact, an extraterrestrial encounter. For one, the symbols found on the ship have appeared in other UFO sightings throughout history. Earlier, we discussed their similarity to those found at Roswell in 1947. But they also mirror symbols found in an event known as the Rendlesham Forest Incident. Frequent listeners may recall it from our earlier episodes on the event. In December 1980, servicemen stationed near a Suffolk, England Air Force base observed strange lights flying through the forest around 3 a.m. At daybreak, a search of the area found three small triangular impressions in a clearing. The official police report confirmed the appearance of three marks of an indeterminate pattern on the forest floor. However, it also stated the marks were apparently of no depth and the attending officer thought they could have been made by an animal. UFO experts have noted these symbols have shown up in UFO sightings throughout the world, including the Utsurobune incident. Furthermore, the odd shape of the vessel supports the argument that it was a UFO. Its rounded top and circular shape fit the depictions of unidentified flying objects dating back to the Middle Ages. But there's one significant issue with labeling Utsurobune a UFO. It's not a flying object. There's no indication the vessel was capable of flight or that it fell from the sky. This has given rise to a radical new theory regarding the hollow boat incident. UFO scholars propose that Utsurobune wasn't from outer space at all. Instead, they believe it emerged from the sea as an unidentified submerged object, or USO. An article in Popular Mechanics defines USOs as unknown craft that are sighted in the water, rising up out of the water, or diving into the water. USO sightings are not nearly as well known in popular culture as their flying counterparts, but have still drawn interest from paranormal enthusiasts. Biologist Ivan Sanderson made a study of these aquatic objects and sightings in his 1970 book, Invisible Residence, The Reality of Underwater UFOs. As he explains in the introduction, nearly three quarters of the surface of our planet is covered with water, but, despite airplanes now flying over the oceans and boating going on all about, we have only a minute portion of this vast aqueous area under regular surveillance. Although Sanderson doesn't directly reference the Utsuro Bune event in his book, 
he catalogs an exhaustive number of what he refers to as UAOs, or Unidentified Aerial Objects, emerging from or flying into the sea. For example, Sanderson quotes a report from the summer of 1954 in which the crew of a Dutch ship observed a strange, flat, moon-like object rise out of the ocean some 80 miles off the coast of New York. In another sighting, this one on April 19, 1957, men aboard a Japanese fishing boat spotted two metallic silvery objects descending from the sky into the sea. The objects apparently had no wings and disappeared seamlessly into the ocean. After examining other sightings over bodies of water throughout the world, Sanderson proposed a rather radical idea. He theorized that an advanced civilization could be living at the bottom of the ocean in what he refers to as the hydrosphere. He calls these beings other intelligences or oints. Sanderson writes, if a superior technological type of intelligent civilization developed on this planet underwater, they would very likely have gotten much farther ahead than we have, having had several millions and possibly up to a billion years head start on us, life as we know it having started in the sea. Sanderson argued that if this civilization does exist, they would have made advances in technology much sooner than humans advances that could make space travel possible. He believed many UFO sightings and oceanic disappearances were the result of these oceanic beings. While this may sound like the origin story to Aquaman, Sanderson's book, published at the height of UFO mania, continues to be cited for its exhaustive study of USOs observed all over the world. Could the story of Utsuro Bune be a case of intelligent life rising from the ocean depths? Did Japanese fishermen make contact with an advanced being from our own planet? The author of the original 1825 Utsuro Bune report, Takizawa Bakin, has another theory. After the publication of the book, he conducted his own research into possible origins for the mysterious woman in the hollow boat. He took particular interest in a study called Rosia Bunkenroku, a record of things seen and heard in Russia. He points out a specific passage on Russian travelers. The female dress is cylindrical and dress radius becomes gradually smaller above the waist. The color of her dressed-up hair is changed to white using white powder. Perhaps this could explain the streaks of white found in the woman's hair. Russia shares a maritime border with Japan, so it's not difficult to imagine a wayward ship ending up on Japanese shores. Takizawa also discussed the foreign symbols found inside the ship. He claimed to have heard of similar shapes on a British whaler that had recently passed through Japan. He wrote, from this observation, the woman may be a British, Bengali, or an American princess. No one knows exactly. Ultimately, Takizawa expressed disappointment because he was unable to come to any definitive conclusions. As he wrote in his article, if anyone knows anything concerning this incident, please let me know. But the search for a terrestrial or human solution to the mystery didn't end with Takizawa. Folklorist Yanagida Kunio took up Takizawa's torch. 
1925 paper, The Story of Utsuro Fune, introduced many examples of the Japanese hollow boat legend to modern audiences. In addition to presenting the origin story of the Kawano family dynasty, one of the more popular Utsurobune legends, Yanagida also published a song from Kyushu Island. It contained many phrases and descriptions that mirror those in the Utsurobune story we've been discussing. Yanagida also discusses how early folklore tales evolved, specifically referencing the evolution of dugout boats in Japanese legends. As time went on, these descriptions became increasingly elaborate, perhaps as a result of changes in culture and technology. He writes in his 1925 paper that such revisions were necessary to make the stories more believable. Skeptics insisted it was impossible to travel across long distances in a simple dugout boat. So in the retelling, the ship became more advanced. It's not difficult to imagine storytellers adding glass windows and reinforced structures to make already established fables seem more believable. Ultimately, Yanagida presents four reasons why he believes the 1803 Utsurobune incident to be fiction. First, he suggests people find this story easy to believe because of its similarities to tales heard in folklore. Second, the symbols on the mysterious vessel do not correspond to any language in the world, thereby making them the work of the artist's imagination. He also notes the mix of real and imaginary names and locations, making it harder to distinguish fact from fiction. Third, the story ends with the woman being sent back out to sea. Her disappearance ensured that there was no way to verify the incident later. Finally, the features of the woman are similar to those of a Westerner. In the early 19th century, Japan was isolated from the outside world, both afraid of and fascinated by European countries. A clever writer might have used a portrayal inspired by Westerners as a means of tapping into this cultural fear and interest. An important distinction is that Yanagida was only setting out to prove the Utsurobune incident was fiction. He didn't approach it as an extraterrestrial encounter, nor try to explain it as such. So his attempts to discredit the story don't address the strongest UFO evidence. Author Kazuo Tanaka built off Yanagida's research when considering these reports as an alien encounter. But Tanaka shoots down the idea that the vessel was a UFO. As he writes, in the stories, the boat did not fly and did not even move by itself on the sea. It was built primarily of wood and metal, recognizable technology from the time period. He also mentions that Hitachi province was in close proximity to the Japanese capital Edo, or present-day Tokyo. Given this information, Tanaka writes, It is unrealistic to believe that an amazing incident involving a strange boat and a woman on a beach in Hitachi state has not been recorded in any official documents of the Tokugawa period. His definitive conclusion is that the reports from 1825 and 1844 were fictions based on Japanese folklore. The illustrations that captured the imaginations of UFO enthusiasts were merely the combination of legendary elements and artistic liberties. These cultural tales and myths can skew our perceptions and impact how we interpret events. 
they lead us to make connections that wouldn't otherwise exist between true events and stories passed down through generations. In the case of Utsurobune, traditional legends about Japanese immigration were given a new twist, which created something even more enduring. Could this have been a real event that was blended with already established cultural tropes to create a compelling narrative? And if the tale was true, were the strange descriptions of the mysterious woman, her hollow boat, and its indecipherable symbols evidence of an extraterrestrial encounter? If we were to rank this possible alien sighting on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the most unbelievable and 10 being the most believable, we would give this a 4. Utsurobune seems to be more based in traditional Japanese folklore than in documented history. But a few intriguing details, like the recent discovery of contemporary reports placing the story in a real, verifiable location, suggest that there may be a hint of authenticity to the account. As more documents come to light, perhaps someday we'll learn the truth about the strange woman who washed ashore and what was inside her mysterious box. Until then, we'll keep retelling the story and watching the horizon for more visitors. Thanks for tuning in to Extraterrestrial. You can find more episodes of Extraterrestrial and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Extraterrestrial for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Extraterrestrial on Spotify, just open the app and type Extraterrestrial in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Extraterrestrial was written by Greg Cohen, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson. Just a reminder that we'll be back with a new episode on January 7th. In the meantime, we'll be playing our listeners' most requested episodes of 2019. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season.